You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. to that great fall crisp air. Yes, boots are back, sweaters are back, chili is back. Yes, summer's over. Um, I love it. Hey, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I think some of you are, but during the 915 service, this service that you're part of, there's also another group of individuals, about 30 of them right now, who gather together to watch this service online. They're at the Ransom Ridge home uh, in Huntersville, and I just thought it would be really cool if we just stood up, looked at the camera, and said hi to all of these folks who are watching us online this morning. Ransom Ridge people, we love you. We bless you this morning. We think you're awesome, Miss Whiny. Um, she's uh, in her, she likes to say, I'm in my mid-90s. And she joins us regularly online at Ransom Ridge. I think that's so exciting. Well, we are, um, for the past two weeks, as you know, we have been in a series on Micah 6-8. And um, we have begun each message uh, by making the point that is at the very top of your sermon notes. So I want you just to break those out this morning. And we're going to look at this point right away. Um, we've been making the point that when we uh, follow Jesus, it is more than just accepting and repenting. Those are the first two steps in our journey of faith. Um, but Paul instructs us in Philippians 2.12 to continue. In other words, continue and continue and continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he is exhorting us to integrate our faith into every aspect of our life on a daily basis. And he's warning us to avoid segmenting our faith or reserving it for just special worship times or church events. The Israelites had a problem with this continual integration of their faith. They seemed to, at seasons, draw near to God, and then they would pull apart from him and walk um, in, a, in a distant relationship from him. And in the book of Micah, we see God's people once again reverting to relying on rituals and sacrifices. Um, in other words, they were beginning to once again rely on what they could accomplish for God instead of having a heartfelt walk with God. And um, they come before the Lord and they're a bit irritated and they, in essence, ask him a question with this kind of a tone. Well, what do you just expect from us anyway? And to their surprise, God speaks through the prophet Micah. And this is what he says in Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. God settles the question, what do I expect from you? He is to be honored not with outward activities and ceremonies, even though he might appreciate those. What he really wants and what he makes clear to his people is I want you to deal deal fairly with others. I want you to show loving kindness and forgive those who have wronged you as I have forgiven you. 
and I want you to walk humbly with me. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning grateful that you are intimately aware of us. And Lord, this morning, I ask for grace. I ask you for the grace to be able to speak the things that you've laid upon my heart. I ask you for the grace to be able to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us personally in the midst of this corporate environment. And I ask you for the grace to be able to see our own life in the midst of this scripture and to walk out, to apply what you speak to us today. And I thank you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know uh, if you caught this on the news or not. I remember very clearly the evening that my husband and I heard it um, on the televised news, and both of us were really moved in our hearts by the story. There was a young man by the name of Walter Carr, and he had gotten a job. He lived in Birmingham, Alabama, first year in college, but he needed a job to supplement uh, his um, uh, life. And so he had gotten a job with a moving company. And a friend had promised to take him to work on his first day of work. And at the last minute, his friend backed out. So Walter Carr got up in the middle of the night and began to walk 20 miles to his new job um, at the Bellhop Moving Company. Well, he got to one town very far in his distance. He had walked, the, he had walked 20 miles. And he got into this town, police officer ran into him, was a little curious about what this young guy was doing, just walking through this town, took him to breakfast, heard his story, and then the police officer gave him a ride the rest of the way to the company. Well, when the company owner heard of what Walter Carr had done, he was so inspired by Walter making a commitment to walk all that way that he gave him his own personal Ford, uh, what was it, a Ford something or other, a Ford Escapade car. And um, on the news, when the owner of the company was asked, why did you do that? He, he responded, he said, I was moved by Walter's heart, grit, and commitment. And then when Walter received the keys, he was so full of emotion that all he said was, seriously, Looking at those keys, sounds like a first-year college student. No, that, seriously, seriously, that car's mine, seriously? Um, I was just so touched by that story because, one, it had such humility in it. It was just a humble, he just had this humble gratitude for this job that caused him to be willing to uh, walk 20 miles to be on time. What an amazing effort. Well, today we're going to be focusing on walking as well, but it's not a walk to another city that we're talking about. It's the walk that we are supposed to have with the Lord. Walking humbly with God is not so much about action as it is about lifestyle. It's moving through life with a continual connection to God. In this lifestyle of walking humbly with God, we learn what it means to live, or maybe better said, we learn how to develop 
a lifestyle of consistent communion and constant relationship with God. One of the things that I think is killing the impact of the American church today is that many of those who call themselves Christians walk with God on Sundays, but walk their own way Monday through Saturday. You see, when we walk two different walks, the world calls that lack of consistency hypocrisy. There's no compelling attractiveness to follow a person who has an inconsistent relationship or an inconsistent walk with the Lord. At the time of his passing, Billy Graham was no longer leading crusades. He was no longer in the public eye. He wasn't preaching anymore. In fact, he hadn't preached for quite some time. But yet the world still grieved the ending of this man's life. I think part of our grieving was the loss of a model. It was the loss of a man who, for his life, he lived before the world a consistent communion and a constant relationship with God. We grieve the loss of the uniqueness of watching a person live their life humbly before God. So let's take a minute and let's break down that phrase. Walk humbly with your God. Let's look at each one of those words for a minute to glean what it means to walk like this. First of all, we're invited to walk. Walking is not running. Walking is not sitting. Walking um, is something that we just do in our everyday life. It's practical and it's applicable to all of us. It's the simple um, concept of just traveling one step in front of another. So God called us to do something that is very common in an ordinary pace. Nothing extreme, just regular moving one day at a time, one foot in front of another. And then we're invited to walk with. That preposition with is really important because God isn't saying walk behind me, walk before me, walk above me, walk ahead of me, or walk around me. He's saying I want you to develop a lifestyle where you're partnering with me. You're walking alongside of me, experiencing growth and transformation. Then we're told to walk humbly with your God, your God. The walk is supposed to be personal. You can't walk your parents' walk. You can't walk your spouse's walk. You can't walk your neighbor's walk. You have to walk your walk with the Lord. And then he says, your God, a very specific person that we are supposed to walk with, the transcendent, almighty, all-powerful God is inviting us to draw near to him, to come into close proximity to him. You see, God is personal. He's not the big man in the sky, and he's not a celestial Santa Claus that just wants us running to him whenever we want something. He wants an abiding relationship. In fact, Jesus put it this way, that we are to abide in the vine. We are to walk with, we are to come closely with the Lord. He wants an upfront, close, personal, authentic relationship with each and every one of us that is just steady as she goes, walking. 
And then we're told about our attitude in how we are to do this walk. We're called to walk humbly with God. So let's look at what that looks like. First, to walk humbly with God, we have to replace our old identity with his new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. In order for us to walk humbly with God, we have to have the right perspective on who God is and who we are in Christ. When we embraced Christ as our Savior, something amazing happened in the spiritual realm. Spiritually speaking, we took on a new identity. In fact, Paul says it like this. We were chosen. We became a royal priesthood. Um, in 1 Peter 2.9, we are dearly loved. Colossians 3.12, we became ambassadors for Christ. We became a new creation. The old things had passed away. In other words, we became royal. I'm now a daughter of the king, and you're a son of the king. We have a king that we follow. We have a king that we yield to. We are a priesthood. We no longer have to go to another person to intercede for us to God. We can speak directly to him and come to his throne of grace boldly and confidently. And we are dearly loved. We're the apple of his eye. We're his children. He loves us. He calls us beloved all throughout the scriptures. And all of that is true. That is my new spiritual identity. But when I came to Christ, I wasn't, my earth suit didn't change. I was still the same. I still had on skin. I still had flesh. I still had a mind. I still had past experiences. And therefore, we have to live in the reality of our, also our human condition. And Paul kind of says it this way in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a man who knew Christ, who'd seen him, who'd walked with him for many, many years who had revelation of heaven and God and um, revelation of what all the scriptures meant, yet he still said of himself, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I am the worst of all of them. You see, we have to live with the reality. Yes, we are a royal priesthood. Yes, we are a holy nation. And when I walk with God, I When I'm close to him and I'm yielded to him, I walk in this identity the most. But when I pull apart from him and when I go my own way, I give life to this. I give life to the ugliness that's within me. And as I separate myself from God and I move away from him, it is likely that I will match the ugliest person in the Bible. Boy, it got quiet in here. But you know what? It's the reality of who we are. We have this great promise within us and in Christ, that righteousness. But at the same time, what keeps me humble is the reality that at any given day outside of his grace, I can blow it big time. And so I need him and I need to press into him. Many years ago, there was a rabbi by the name of Simcha Buniam. Oh, Harold would be so proud of me. I just said his name right. Um, 
Anyway, he, one of, I love the story about him because he carried two slips of paper with him in his pockets all the time. And one slip of paper said on it, for my sake, the world was created. You see, he recognized that he had great value and purpose. But on the other slip of paper, it said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. That's the balanced view. He was walking humbly with God because he had a recognition of the importance of staying close to the Lord in that daily walk. I believe the greatest temptation that we all battle is to walk our own walk and to separate ourselves from God. To walk humbly with God, we have to continually replace our way with the desire to do things God's way. Did you know that before baseball, the number one sport in America was competitive walking? It's true. It's on the Internet. I read it. (laughs) The article is really a pretty fascinating article. It it said huge crowds, pictures of these people. Huge crowds came to pack indoors arenas like Madison Square Garden to watch the best walkers. Now, I could do that. To watch the best walkers go in endless circles over six-day matches. They didn't race on Sunday because Sunday was still considered a holy day. Um, So for six days, they would walk around these tracks. at at Madison Square Garden. So in other words, competitive walking was the late 1800s NASCAR. (laughs) Right? But I don't think competitive walking started in the 1800s. I think competitive walking started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You see, when we look at Genesis chapter 3, we read that Adam and Eve made a choice, a conscious decision to no longer walk humbly with God, but to compete with him. They wanted to decide what was right and what was wrong. They wanted to be able to determine what was good and what was evil. And when they decided to walk apart from God, that's when sin entered the world and suffering began. Walking apart from God cost us. The enemy knows that we are born with a predisposition to want to do life our own way. And if you don't believe me, spend a day babysitting a two-year-old. The best weapon we have to fight the pull of self-determination is to be honest about our human nature and invite the influencing power of the Holy Spirit into our life on a daily basis. You see, the Holy Spirit was not just released so that there could be supernatural signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit was released to enable us to walk the walk with God that he has called us to. Galatians 5.16, we're encouraged, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Doing justly and loving mercy are reflections of a humble walk with God. That's why it's best to guard our walk continually by praying, Holy Spirit, work in me. 
James 4 is expressed in a very interesting way in the message. Listen to it. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And you and do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it, he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what if he gives And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll ever find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but God gives grace to the willing humble. Why do you think it is that God gives grace, pours out his grace to the humble? Perhaps it's because true humility is God conscious while pride is self-conscious. And the more we look at ourselves, the more self-oriented we are, the more we move away from walking with God. Jesus demonstrated to us what walking humbly with God looks like because his walk was total dependence on God. He didn't pretend to be humble. He fully trusted God and leaned into him in every situation knowing that apart from God he could do nothing. To walk humbly with God we need to replace self-confident pride with trust that makes a way for God's grace. Mark Ashton Smith was a 33-year-old professor at Cambridge University. He was kayaking alone in very turbulent waters when he capsized. He realized he wasn't going to be able to make it to the shoreline safely, so his first instinct was to call his father, who was on an assignment 305,000 miles away training troops in Dubai. He reached his father, and within 12 minutes his father had had gotten the coast guard to find Mark and lead Mark safely to the shore. In his moment of weakness and vulnerability, Mark cried out to the person he trusted the most, his father. Who's your first call when life capsizes you? Who do you turn to first? Is it to your intellect to reason things? Is it to your self-reliance to take care of things on your own? Is it to your Facebook friends or do you instinctively call on your heavenly father? You see, I think we all call on the person that we walk with the closest. Now I have a spelling test for you. 915, you got your spelling? Spelling genes are awake. All right. What's the middle letter in these three words? Crime, pride, and sin. I. When it comes to walking humbly with God, we have an I problem. When I'm seeking what I want, what I need, what I want to do and how I want to do it, I'm going to slowly walk apart from God rather than walk with God. To walk humbly with God, we have to constantly replace it's all about me with it's all about God. 
If walking with God is our lifestyle, if we're really striving to develop that consistent and constant relationship with God, our life should reflect the fact that we are getting smaller and smaller in our eyes and God is getting bigger and bigger and greater and greater. We should be replacing look at me with look at him. We should be replacing with I've got this to God's got this. We should, re, re, we should be replacing, well, what I think is with, I need to seek God's perspective on this. Um, our life group met this past Thursday, and at the end of our uh, group meeting, we had some time to pray for the immigrants that were moving an, in this caravan through Central America, and just pray for them as people. And... Um, one of the people that was praying said something uh, like this, Lord, I have my opinions, um, but I don't have your perspective. You know more about what's going on than I know. So I call for your will to be done, for your heart of compassion to be released, and motivate my heart to live in agreement with your heart. You see, that's a prayer of humbly walking with the Lord. That's saying, I don't know everything. I am not the big knower in this world. And maybe God's got a different perspective and I need to yield, I need to lean into Him and get more of His heart so that my thoughts are aligned with His thoughts. Ever since Pastor Farrell asked me to speak on this third part of Micah 6.8, I have not been able to get Judas off of my mind. It's interesting to me that Judas in the garden referred to Jesus as Master, Master. And that phrase, when you study it, reveals what his walk with God was like. According to those who know Greek, the best translation of what Judas was calling Jesus was masterful teacher. The Hebrew equivalent is rabbi. Now, of course, we know a rabbi is someone who is honored and respected because of their understanding and their ability to explain scriptures. But to call someone Lord is very different than calling someone teacher. The idea of Lord is that when you're, when you're calling Jesus Lord, you are expressing that you believe he has the ultimate and supreme authority in your life. If you call him Lord, you are saying that you are yielding every realm of your life, social, emotional, familial, spiritual, intellectual, you are yielding all realms of your life to his management, his direction, and his control. To walk humbly with God is to see your position as journeying with him, but ultimately you are willing to bend, to yield to his authority and do life his way. In your humility, you truly believe his ways are higher than my ways. 
Judas was prey to the enemy because he wasn't humbly walking with Jesus Christ as Lord. He was walking near a teacher. And when that teacher, Jesus, didn't live up to his expectations, his desires, his requests, his ideals, he was easily deceived and pulled away from Jesus. In Luke 21.8, Jesus warns us, watch out that you are not deceived and misled. Church, I want to strongly emphasize to you today the way that we will avoid being deceived in the last days is to walk in close proximity with humility with our God. If we don't want to be seduced to be unfaithful to our Lord, we have to walk closely to him. No separation, no division, no distance. This morning, as I was praying about how to conclude this service, well, actually, it was last night, and I was praying about how to conclude this service, I just really felt the impression of the Lord that we needed to seal this uh, series on Micah 6-8 with prayer. And I, this is unusual. We don't normally do this at Grace, but I felt like we needed to express to the Lord our understanding of who we are in him, but who he is by kneeling before him. So if you are capable of doing that, I'm going to invite you to kneel with me. If that's difficult for you, then you just lean forward in your chair or be in a posture that is a posture of humility before the Lord. So would you just join me, please, in this um, closing prayer? Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, because you are Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are not. We are your servants who appreciate being called your friend. We thank you that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not changed their position by embracing you as Savior. I pray that they will do that before they leave today. You can't walk with your God until he is your God. Lord, your word says you made it very clear to your people that you wanted them to do justly and you wanted them to love mercy. Lord, those are actions of how we treat other people. But Lord, in order to treat them as you would desire us to treat them, we have to look at ourselves. And that's uncomfortable. It's convicting. It's challenging. We have to look at our attitude of what our walk is with you. For Lord, we can we cannot stand up for those who don't have a voice and we cannot lavishly extend your loving kindness unless we are walking in proximity to your heart. 
and relating with you humbly, recognizing that yes, by your grace, we stand as righteous in Christ, and that's awesome and wonderful. But Lord, we also confess to you today that we are prone to wander, Lord. We are prone to pull apart, Lord. The pull of self is great. It's a fight. And to fight that good fight, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to freshly infuse us. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to be the people that you've called us to be. We need the Holy Spirit to help us link arms with you on a daily basis and journey with you, travel with you, stand for you, speak for you, hear from you. We implore you today, Lord, pour out your Spirit, Lord, upon us afresh. Fill us afresh, Lord, from the head to the toe. Breathe in your spirit, Lord. Release it from heaven over our nation, Lord. God, may the Holy Spirit bring us to the right position with you, Lord God. Put you in your rightful place, Lord. God, we're on our knees today because it's a symbol, Lord, that you are higher than us. You are exalted. You are a great, holy, magnificent, pure God. And we're in a position of beckoning you. Come, Lord Jesus. Draw near to us as we draw near to you. We thank you for that promise, Lord. Lord, we know that you never leave the path. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. We're the ones that wander off. We're the ones that drift away. Lord, today we pray that the Holy Spirit would so tightly wrap us around you that we would not be prey to the subtle deceptions of the enemy that would cause us to be unfaithful to our King. We thank you for that fresh power. We thank you for that fresh fire. We thank you for that fresh anointing today, Lord. And as we move into this world this week, Lord, just help us put one foot in front of the other, moment by moment, hour by hour, yielding into you, representing you, loving you, talking to you, communing with you about everything. And we just thank you for the grace to do that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org. 